1: Jesus said, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who had feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us is a great chasm has been fixed so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so and no one can cross from there to us. He said, then father, I beg you to send to him, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that he may warn them so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets, they should listen to them. He, the rich man said, no father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ.
0: You may be seated. Well, grace and peace to you, my siblings in Christ, Ooh, that was a fun one, wasn't it? All right. So on Tuesday, in order to break the ice in this story about heaven and hell and the great chasm between, I had to ask a question to just get the ball rolling. I said, if you could go back in time and have someone warn you about something, what would it be? And the old guys immediately took us down this journey of uh, destruction and pain and injuries suffered in their youth where they're like, if someone would have just told me not to do this, I wouldn't have gotten hurt or I wouldn't have had this bad thing happen. Events that they wish that they'd had some sort of a warning about. But the women went in a completely different direction. In fact, one of the first things that got shared was this lament about lost memories of a loved one who had died. One of the members said, I wish I would have documented the stories of my father better before he died. Now, so much of that is just lost, and it's heartbreaking. So after she shared this, I said, So how are you recording your memories for the generations to follow? We talked about the ways that we could do this, whether that's recording videos or writing things down, documenting through pictures of ways to be able to share things with our kids and grandkids for years to come. And because of this conversation, I think I went into my uh, next activity for the rest of the week with a different mindset. I approached that in a way that I don't think I would have if we wouldn't have had this conversation. You see, on Wednesday morning, I had the joy of joining my son Phineas as a chaperone on a school trip. And not just a trip to like a museum in the Twin Cities. This was a three-day overnight with a bunch of fifth graders all the way up at Deep Portage in Hackensack. I recognized that one of the maybe unspoken responsibilities of the chaperones was this was an opportunity to document the trip. So instead of having to jump in and do all the activities, it was fun to just kind of be on the sideline and watch the kids learn, watch the kids really engage in the activities and to take pictures and video as much as I could so that the family members and parents who weren't able to come would be able to have something that they could see to say, oh, wow, my kid was able to do this really cool accomplishment. And they really did. They did a lot of really cool stuff. Uh, Finn went rock climbing. Uh, he got to shoot bow and arrow and do archery for the first time, and he loved it. He got three bullseyes. I have no idea how he did it, because uh, the first time he shot an arrow, it went straight to the ground, and then he really got the hang of it. Uh, he spent time hunting for invertebrates in the mud, which was just an excuse for the kids to get in the mud. <laughs> they had a blast. Uh, and there was lots of hiking, including the last thing, which is this hike up a 55-foot uh, tower, this observation deck to be able to see across the entire valley. One of the best parts of the trip for me was that all of the kids' electronics were confiscated from them right after they got off the bus, so no phones, no video games, just each other and the wilderness and that silence. And they thrived without it. It was phenomenal to see it. I'm like, this should happen more often. Uh, They engaged with the material in each of the activities. And you would think by the end of the day that these kids would be so exhausted that they would fall right to sleep. (laughs) You would think that. Now the dads in the room, we were beat, dog tired. All we wanted to do was sleep. All the boys wanted to do was tell jokes and make farting sounds. (laughs) One boy in particular was kind of naughty. So we had to come up with some tactics. One of the teachers came and knocked on the door and said, Boys, you're pretty loud. you got to keep it down so the girls who are in the floor above can sleep. That didn't work. Then I tried to bribe one of them. I said, hey, if you go to bed in the next five minutes, I'll give you $5 in the morning. (laughs) He did not even come close to collecting on that. I played another card. I played the threat card. If you don't go to bed, we're gonna have to call your mom to come and pick you up tomorrow. He said, my mom wouldn't mind. She would want to come and see me. (laughs) I think he was overselling his hand, honestly. A a three-and-a-half-hour drive and then a a three-and-a-half-hour drive to get home. I don't think she would have been nearly as thrilled as he thought she would be. But it didn't matter. The empty threat didn't work. So last-ditch Hail Mary. I tried something that sometimes works for my younger boys. I'm like, I'm going to give it a shot. I turned on the lullaby station On Pandora, the loudest boy in the group tried to protest, like, oh, this
1: is
0: (laughs) I kid you not, like within five minutes, they were all out. The sound of this music kept them from being able to talk, and they were within a trance-like state. The second night, I tried this tactic much sooner, 20 minutes earlier, everybody was asleep. You know, we had a great trip, and I would guess that there's a decent chance that I'm gonna go back at least once or four times in my future. But I loved seeing Phineas challenge himself to do things that I couldn't have even imagined trying when I was his age. And if I could give him some advice, it would be to try, keep trying to do new things. Spend less time on electronics spend more time outside doing the stuff that challenges you. I also know that advice given to my kids isn't always welcomed. Even if I know that I know better, I can't make my kids do what I know best. It's kind of like this parable that Jesus shares. You know, there's this obvious, you know, you know what you're supposed to do kind of element to the story, right? Like, How often do we really go outside of our gates when we see the Lazaruses of the world? You know, how often do we get outside the walls of our comfort, those walls that we've built around us, to actually help someone else that might cause us a little bit of discomfort or to get a little dirty? You know, on the surface, this would appear as if Jesus is giving us some clear instruction on what heaven and hell looks like. But I think there's further study that makes it a little bit more clear that the bigger details for us to focus on Is actually how we treat each other in this world. Jesus is teaching us what it means to repent and to actually turn to Jesus. And that in a relationship with Jesus, that that is truly our goal. That when we're living in that relationship with Jesus, we notice others. We live for others. We do things that aren't just about ourselves. We aren't getting measured by how many things we do right. And there's not a scoreboard up in heaven that's docking points from us when we fail. And you're like, boy, that sounds great, Pastor John, but that's not how we operate. That's not what we focus on, especially us Americans, right? Like, we can't get out of our own way. We are just consumed with like, well, come on, Pastor John, we, we want to know the secrets of heaven and hell. Come on, that's what this is going to tell us, right? British theologian N.T. Wright had the question why do americans fixate so much on hell he said i really want to know why is it that the most prosperous affluent nation on earth is really determined to be so sure that they know precisely who's going to be frying in hell and what the temperature is going to be and so on there's something pretty disturbing about that i agree i think jesus wants us to focus on the present I think Jesus wants us to focus on how our relationship with Jesus could actually lead us to take care of our neighbors across the world or in our own backyard or in our neighborhoods. Pastor Kendra Moen says this parable serves to refocus the hearer, us, on what we do with what we have. How do our vocation, like what do, what do our jobs, what are the things that we do within our week, how do they serve our neighbors? Our virtue isn't determined by our wealth, our employment, our gender, our immigration status, our body type. It's born out of our deeds. It's born out of the things that we do for others. And it's not like we're doing stuff in order to get into heaven, right? Our faith in Jesus has already secured that. It's done. There's nothing that we can do to make sure that Jesus sees us. Like, hey, Jesus, look at this. Jesus already knows. Grace already won. So is it possible that we might be missing an important detail? Are we so caught up on the stairway to heaven or the highway to hell that we don't realize, yes, I made an ACDC and Led Zeppelin reference, that we don't realize that Jesus is telling us what we need to know. Oh, Father Abraham, if someone goes to my family from the dead, then they will repent. And Jesus says the answer. If they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. We can hear from the Bible, but sometimes we forget about the main thing. And the main thing is the main thing for a reason. We have a story to tell, we have something to share that's a deal breaker, a game changer. Jesus rose from the dead. I'm convinced, and because Jesus rose, there's something to hope for. So if you could go back in time and have someone warn you about something, what would it be? Well, Jesus did. Jesus came back and told us a message. I know it happened a long time ago, but that message is just as alive and and valuable and important for us today. And it's not a fear-based message. Maybe a bunch of 10 year olds can teach us something here. You know, threats, bribery, consequences, fear. None of those tactics worked for them. What did work? Peace, a message of goodness, maybe this trust, relationship, promise of hope. A little Connor who was up here blindfolded, maybe a friend to lead us when we're in the dark. We believe in God who loves our world. Loves. God's up there cheering, wanting us to succeed. Cheering for us to do the right thing. But forgiving us when we don't. That's the God that Jesus is inviting us to see with our eyes today. That's the God that Jesus is saying, this is who you turn to when you repent. It's the God who cares for us, the God who blesses us, the God who created us to care for others. So what if that was part of our message? What if we were the carriers of that message? How would you include faith in your memories? How is God with you through the joys of your life? but also the struggles and the challenges. I said a little prayer before bed. All right, God, let's let's do this. Let's get these boys to sleep and let's embrace the new day ahead of us. The spirit gave me the patience I needed when putting fifth graders to bed, but it's also that same spirit that was present at that last campfire when memories were being forged and bonds were strengthened even if the Holy Spirit wasn't directly named. And that's the message that I can document and share for generations to come. Sounds like heaven on earth to me. How about you? Amen.